Welcome, everybody. Kevin Cole here, your host, Unexpected Points, the analytical podcast, I guess. Also, going to get into some film here, if only to watch the film guys watch film and they critique them watching film a little bit. We'll get into that later. Uh, that'll come to the limited quarterback discussion. So there'll be three main segments of this podcast. We'll have the Monday Night Football Review, all hail to EPA King Jimmy Garoppolo and his band of merry men who uh, uh, are able to generate yards after catch like no other, helping boost his numbers just a little bit there. Uh, So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the 49ers going forward who have been my sneaky NFC champion pick for a while now. I mean, they're hurt a little bit by the fact that they don't really have a great window getting to the the buy, having the buy in the first round of the playoffs, getting that number one seed. But still, I think they arguably could be the strongest team in the NFC right now. Some people say, you know, Eagles, obviously they earned some credit there. Uh, also have had the easiest schedule in the NFL so far. So we'll get into some of that sort of stuff. But we also have a couple of other segments on this. One of them is going to be on the quote-unquote limited quarterback. Jimmy's the, the big guy, right? Jimmy's the big guy for the you know guys who hate the programmatic execution quarterback who are who are limited so he falls in there Tua has become the next guy Tua is now entering that discussion Tua has entered the chat and the reason being is I don't think we've seen recently a quarterback who fits maybe that profile of being a more limited guy who is putting up this type of production. And of course, Tua is leading the NFL right now in his efficiency. I believe he's still number one in PFF grading also, which is something that Jimmy does not achieve. But I'm going to go through a video from friend of the pod, uh, Ben Solak, who's been on here before. I like Ben. You know, I had Steven Ruiz on last week, who's kind of a similar sort of guy. But rather than having a discussion as I had with Ruiz, I'm going to pull up a video, parts of some video, that Ben put together talking about Tua, putting context to it. And then, you know, I'll add my context to his context and talk about some of the problems with not necessarily the analysis. Some of it is, I think, is couched incorrectly. Some of it is overstated. Some of it is maybe not framed properly. But it's really this idea of if you don't have one of these astronomically talented quarterbacks. And they're not just, you know, growing on trees. The Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Uh, Maybe even the Josh Herberts of the world to a certain degree. That you just toss out whoever you have and you take a shot on, on getting one of those guys. You can still win. You can still win even in the playoffs. And that's something that Ruiz talked about in the podcast. He threw out one of those binaries like, you can't win in the playoffs with this type of quarterback. I mean, that's obviously not true. Even as, but I'm not sure how true it even is to a degree that they think it's true. Um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll go through all of that. This this clip from Solak that got out there to and on, I'm sure got a hold of it and has been trashing him here. And last, I'll start with the Zach Wilson drama, uh, going from a couple different angles. First, you know, maybe getting a little bit annoyed by how much of the story is his uh inability or unwillingness to take responsibility by answering that question that he deserves you know that they let the the defense down and then get into the larger questions of like what should the jets do with wilson the rest of the season uh again tune back into the pod last midweek last week with steve ruiz we talk about zach wilson i think we're pretty much both in agreement that 
unless things turn down, turn around dramatically the rest of the season. And obviously it went in the wrong direction last week that the Jets will probably move on and will probably try to bring in someone who can at least raise the floor, a floor raiser for the offense uh, since the defense is playing so well. But before all that, before the other stuff, let's get into last night, San Francisco, Mexico City, Jimmy Garoppolo versus Colt McCoy. Maybe not what you wanted there from a matchup style, but Colt McCoy had been playing well. But in this one, it was just too much. The offense, the defense, everything going for the San Francisco 49ers, including off-schedule Jimmy G making plays on third down, as he's known to do. Third down and three. Garoppolo will float it. He's got Kittle. And Kittle is gone for the touchdown. Yes. Jimmy G, another third down conversion in this one. And I'll get to some of the third down conversion stuff in a second. It's funny because this is one of these plays where he actually stepped up in the pocket, floated in, and some people are like, oh, you underthrew him. I mean, whatever. He made the completion. I mean, what do you want from this guy? Um, so I'll get to some of that. But I thought a larger thematic thing is like, are we, is Shannon going to let Jimmy cook a little bit? Maybe it was matchup dependent in this offense. They weren't throwing it a ton. They only threw, they only draw back the pass 50% of the time. But for how far ahead they were in this game, that the number of the game here is 2.5. And that's their pass rate over expectation for the 49ers. That's actually the second highest of the season. They've been under expectation most games. And in this one, if you just also limit it to only when Garoppolo was in the game, because Brock Purdy came in at the end of the game here, it was a little bit higher than that. It was about 6-7% over expectation, which would have been the highest of the season. So they're letting him cook. They're letting Jimmy cook a little bit in this one. And it was surprising to me because they had a sequence here in the middle end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second quarter or the middle of the second quarter where three straight drives, there's a sequence to end a touchdown drive an entire touchdown drive, and then another part of the next drive, which ends up being at a field goal, where they drop back the pass nine straight times. So this was not, you know, one where they were playing from way behind. This is not one where they're even playing from way ahead, where there wasn't risk in that scenario. No, Shanahan was letting Jimmy Cook, and it ended up in three drives that were touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Um, And better yet, we'll talk about some of the third down stuff here. Um, he's letting him cook on third down a bit too, not just, you know, running the ball on some third and threes where they probably could have, uh, instead putting in his hands to convert and be that guy, which he has been able to do. Uh, the particulars for this game, technically it was a home game for the Arizona Cardinals, even though it was in Mexico city. And it seemed like the crowd was overwhelmingly for the 49ers. The 49ers were 10 point favorites here. Final score, 38-10. to 10, Adjusted score, 34-18. to 18, So pretty much what you would have expected there. Um, it's hard to have a 38 adjusted score because it's so, so high. 49ers offense in the 95th percentile as far as their success rate. Most of the passing offense did really, really well. The rushing offense was about in the 75th percentile for efficiency. Passing, drop back offense, 95th percentile for everything they were doing in this game. Okay, so what were some interesting things that were happening here? First, I thought for a second that I'd entered some other like realm or dimension or something, 
and I was listening to myself talk instead of Troy Aikman talk. You know, I have, I have my beef with Troy a few times, especially how he talks about analytics. Uh, maybe not quite describing it correctly as things were concerned. But, man, I felt like Troy was just on fire, maybe just because he has his overwhelming love here for Jimmy Garoppolo. And he had a little little segment where he's talking about the third down stuff and the execution of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not sure I could have said it better myself, quite honestly. Well, I came into the game talking about how good Jimmy Garoppolo has been on third down, and that has continued tonight. The two touchdown throws that he's had have come on third down as well. And when you get a quarterback who's playing this well, seeing the field the way that he is, it allows you then to run the ball like they did last week against the Chargers 41 times and then sustain these drives. But it's a a quarterback down, third down, and if your quarterback isn't throwing the football very effectively, you're going to have real problems scoring a lot of points. But Garoppolo has been really good for really most of this season. See, well, okay, I, I got to hit Troy a little bit here. For really most of this season, like we didn't need that qualifier because Jimmy Garoppolo was really good on third down in his when he played in 2017, missed most of 2018. When he played in 2019, really good on third down again, above expectation, converting when you adjust for, for distance and field position. Then you go to uh, 2020, missed time again. You go to 2021, even though he was injured at the end of the season, still above expectation, converting. Not quite there um, where he'd been in previous seasons, but still above expectation and converting. And then, of course, this season, he's right. This season, um, as far as the conversions are concerned, they are way above expectation. In fact, if you rate every single team, again, you make adjustments for down, distance, how much is their conversion rate over expectation this year? It is in order Kansas City, Buffalo, Philadelphia, and then San Francisco 49ers. And that includes a very rough week one game for Trey Lance being in there. So if we attach it to Jimmy Garoppolo, we might even get bumped up there right below Buffalo in Kansas City. But again, it's something where they are almost always over expectation when they have Jimmy in tow. Um, and even in the seasons where he wasn't there, right, uh, the seasons where he wasn't there for most of the time, when he wasn't there in 2017 for the first half of the season, they stunk converting on third down. In 2020, when he wasn't there, they were below expectations converting on third down. Uh, they were slightly above expectations in 2018 when he wasn't there. That's when Nick Mullins was kind of playing out of his mind for a little bit. And then Nick Mullins came crashing down to earth. But that that amount of time that Nick Mullins was playing out of his mind, I think, highly affected people's opinion on Jimmy Garoppolo because Mullins played really well for a stretch. Very, very poor for in 2020, though, when he played. Um, so, again, consistently over there. And this is, like he says, it's a third, it's a quarterback down here on third down. That's what annoys me a little bit with this whole thing of when you know they have to pass, that that someone like Jimmy's not good. It's like, no, everyone knows you passing on these third downs, and he's converting on them. In fact, in this particular game, if you look at the third down plays in this game, the 49ers converted 6 of 11 third downs. So pretty good. 6 of 11 third downs in this game. Yet, by distance, every single time – 
it was more than three yards to convert. So if it was three or more yards, they passed the ball. On those ones, they were four of seven. So Jimmy Garoppolo, four of seven on those longer ones, including converting a third and six, a third and five, a third and five, and a third and three, which is for a big touchdown, a huge play there. So pretty good. And when the offense had a third and two or a third and one, they passed it once. Jimmy converted that too. He converted that to Debo Samuel. Uh, They ran it three times and they failed on two out of those three times that they tried to run the ball. So not only is he, is he converting from much more difficult situations, but it was way, way better when Jimmy's trying to convert versus when the rest of the offense is trying to convert on here converting on five out of eight opportunities on third down in this game. But again, that is something that he does. And the key point to what Troy was talking about here when it came to third down is it allows you to sustain drives. That's why I think people don't understand when Derrick Henry is putting up these huge numbers with Tannehill or when the 49ers running offense is going ham on someone or one of these other offenses is running the ball particularly well. They're still having to convert a lot of third downs in order to do so. And in order to do that, having a player like Garoppolo who can convert a lot of those third downs has always been over expectation, really helps boost up the running game for a team that loves to run the ball. So you get those high, optically high rushing game numbers. But the efficiency for the running game doesn't have to be that great. You're just getting lots and lots and lots of rushing opportunities because you're converting third downs and continuing to move down the field, which is what Jimmy Garoppolo is helping you do in this game. All right, takeaways for this as far as what it means for the rest of the season here. Well, for the 49ers now, they have gone from they've gone up to an 87% chance to make the playoffs. They're up 9%. They're up to a 72% chance to win the division. I know they're right in the thick of things with the Seattle Seahawks, but we have them as being the dominant force there in the division. And guess what? Even when it comes to their chances of making the Super Bowl, right now they are sixth in their chances of making the Super Bowl, right behind Dallas. So Kansas City has the highest chance of making the Super Bowl, not winning the Super Bowl. Highest chance of making the Super Bowl at 33%. Philly is number two at 30% since they have the inside window to that number one seed. Uh, Buffalo is three at 24%. Minnesota, again, they're locked into the playoffs, have somewhat of a window to that number one seed, 19%. Dallas, 14 San Francisco, 13 So San Francisco's creeping here, despite the fact that they're behind the eight ball a little bit, losing that first game to the, uh, to the Bears on the road. They're creeping. They're going forward. And if you want to say they're the best team in the NFC, I don't think that would be – you know, a bold, bold statement. I think that definitely is something that they could achieve. So what else happened in this game? Uh, From the Arizona standpoint, I mean, I guess whenever you have Greg Dorsch leading your team in tying for the lead in receptions and the lead in yards, it's probably not a great offensive effort for you. Couldn't do much running the ball. And Colt McCoy was okay, but there was just a ton of pressure on him in this particular game. Three sacks for 30 yards, despite the fact that he had been one of the quickest quarterbacks as far as getting the ball out of his hand so far this year. Uh, Jimmy's numbers, you know, not eye popping for the yardage because it's only 228 yards, although 7.9 yards per attempt, which is good when you're not taking any sacks. So zero sacks here, zero INTs, four touchdowns. Uh, I started him desperation start, somewhat desperation start in fantasy 
on my PFF team. Props to me. Uh, that ended up working out well. McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell continue to split that backfield. Nine carries for Mitchell, although a lot of that was in the second half. Seven for Christian McCaffrey. And I always thought that McCaffrey coming there was not necessarily going to juice up the running game that much. Elijah Mitchell's a pretty good running back. Even Jeff Wilson, who they you know traded away, they had before. He's a pretty good running back there. You know, Mitchell continues to average more yards per carry than McCaffrey since he's been back in the mix. But it's good to see him there. And, of course, they had Debo Samuel running a, whatever you want to call it, reverse end around, whatever sort of uh, nomenclature you want to use there for a long touchdown, boosting up some of those numbers, some of the stuff that we saw from him last season. Just a spread out game as far as the receivers are concerned. And this is what's going to make San Francisco so deadly without necessarily giving high, high totals to anyone in the receiving game. Uh, George Kittle led the team in yards at 84, two touchdowns, but only four catches. McCaffrey, seven catches for 67 yards. Debo Samuel, seven for 57. Brandon Ayuk, two for 20, both of those touchdowns. And that was it for the entire team. So if you don't get, you know, optically a higher number above 300 yards, it's really going to be difficult passing. It's really going to be difficult to flowing into getting anyone big, big, big fantasy numbers here. And as far as the defense is concerned, I mean, we saw the pressure that was being put on here. That's what's going to be the key. The upfront guys, Nick Bosa is back. He kind of, his sack, I would say, was more of a cleanup type of sack, not the hardest one here. Uh, three pressures for him. A uh, total of 19 pressures for the offense, whereas the Cardinals only got six pressures on their side. So much, much better there um, as far as the pressure was concerned. Cardinals, you're you're toast, right? We kind of already knew that they were toast, but just to officially fork them now, 5% playoff probability, 1% chance to make the uh to win the division. All right, let's get off a little bit of this particular game in a larger discussion when we talk about Jimmy and Tua. Those are my guys here when we're talking about needing to, you know, improve your passers and what that means. And to illustrate this, I'm going to go through, which I thought was a really well done video by Ben Solak, where he's explaining some of these things, but I'm going to push back against some of the stuff. So I put together some clips of his video that he did on Tua. You can find it on YouTube at The Ringer, where he puts together some film clips. He explains, he has some, you know, some graphics come in, some other stuff. Good production quality, I have to say on this one. A little bit better than my stream yard, where I'm just throwing dudes in, uh, out here and, and then talking over them. But let's go through what he's talking about here, where the first thing he talks about, this will be one point that I want to push back at least a little bit against is like the type of concepts. And he's talking about Tua here, but again, this can apply to Jimmy Garoppolo also the type of concepts that in the Shannon offense they're running and whether or not is something that other people can do, like how unique, how special do you have to be able to be in order to run these concepts? Tua's going to drop back. What do I got? He's looking front side, right? Start reading strong side. Nope, it's Tampa 2. Mike, Mike linebacker turning his back. It's actually drop eight. So I'm going to work weak side, and then boom, ball's going to be out right now, right? It's an anticipation throw. It's a window throw. It is, but it's pretty standard. Right, so I think that's the key here. Pretty standard. Like, being able to execute standard concepts gets very, very little credit or doesn't get any sort of extraordinary credit in these guys' minds. And then he goes into showing, you know, Matt Ryan execute the same thing. He goes into showing Sam Darnold execute the same thing. So the point there being, 
yeah, if you can if you can execute these types of plays, then there's not necessarily anything special about these quarterbacks. But I guess what I would say is being able to execute these things, let's say a particular throw, being able to execute it eight out of ten times versus being able to execute it seven out of ten times. Like, how do you parse that when you're watching the film? You probably get some idea of someone who's able to execute it more often or not. But if you're, you know, looking through a collection of clips, if you're not necessarily tracking every single thing, if you're not trying to quantify anything on that, like what's the difference in value between being able to execute something eight times out of 10 versus seven times out of 10? And then on the flip side, it's very easy to say, well, this quarterback could never execute this thing that Patrick Mahomes could do. So Patrick Mahomes can do it 50% of the time. Let's say this really difficult throw. Tua can do it 0% of the time. Well, I mean, how often are you running those those types of throws that only Patrick Mahomes can do? How often are you running the types of concepts that Tua can maybe do at a little bit higher level? I mean, I don't think Tua actually is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, but when Tyreek Hill was saying that, there's probably something to the fact that he is accurate with what he can do. And it's those types of things that we have to say, what is truly important? Is it that you only can do things under certain circumstances and that's the problem? Or that's the benefit of having one of these top, top level guys? How do we also give credit for being able to execute things that do not require super talent at a higher level? Because I think we all knew coming to the NFL to a member, fifth pick overall, I believe in the draft was seen as a guy who could be number one overall. I think we all knew that he didn't have like a, a rocket arm that he was six one. He wasn't the tallest guy out there. Uh, we all knew these things about him, but he was still drafted high because being able to execute at a higher level and a higher consistency, even something that maybe falls into the bucket of, Oh, a limited quarterback can do that. Let's, let's forget about it. Uh, that is valuable in the NFL. Okay, let's get to more of what of what Ben's saying uh, from a statistical standpoint here. Back. Go back to that list of e-paper dropback seasons, and you'll find on there 2016 Matt Ryan, his MVP season with Kyle Shanahan. You'll find 2017 Jimmy Garoppolo, the first year he got to play in the Shanahan offense. This offense boosts quarterbacks. It takes guys of average to above average quality players. It takes guys with that ceiling and elevates them, especially in the first year they're playing in this offense. Okay, so let me let me let me quibble with this one a little bit here. Um, I mean, I've pointed out this before and other ones, but we talk about the Shanahan offense again. It's something that can be replicated elsewhere. So the the special sauce, the special magic to it, may be overstated at least a little bit slightly. And when it comes to Matt Ryan specifically, and he mentioned the boost you get in the first year of the offense. Well, of course, that was not Matt Ryan's first year in the offense. His first year in the offense was 2015. He was okay. He was fine. He was like career average-ish sort of numbers for him, maybe slightly better. But he didn't really take that boost until 2016 where they just hit on a number of plays and Julio Jones was going absolutely ham in his efficiency there in that in that offense. That's when he got the boost. And I agree that was the best year of his career. Again, playing with Julio Jones, playing with all the pieces coming together there uh, with an offensive line that ranked first, I believe, in the NFL according to our grading. So the best it was the best supporting cast. Also, Matt Ryan had in his career. And I think Matt Ryan's an interesting guy to point out to because Ryan is a guy who now he's obviously more limited that he's older, but this guy's a borderline Hall of Fame type of quarterback. And we're saying we're using him 
as the example, right? Um, I mean, does he not believe that Matt Ryan deserved MVP that season for what he did? I don't know. Uh, are we just going to always give MVPs to the most talented guy every single year, despite what the results may have told us in that season? It gets a little interesting. It gets a little little tricky if you start doing that sort of stuff. And then when it comes to Garoppolo, I mean, we don't have any sample really before 2017, but what we do have is a limited sample of, you know, 150 passes back with the New England Patriots and Jimmy Garoppolo was really, really good. When he came in in 2017, made the offense a lot better with Marquise Goodwin as his uh, number one receiver in that offense. Eh, kind of tough to say. And then lastly, you know, Brian Hoyer was his other quarterback who people thought he was doing miracles with, Shanahan was doing miracles with in 2013, I want to say. Um, but if you even dig further into those numbers, maybe it was 2015. If you even dig further into those numbers, I mean, Hoyer was okay. He was basically 20th best efficiency in the league. And then he actually had a better year in Houston than he did with the 49ers. So I think this whole like Shanahan offense elevates everyone. And everyone gets so far elevated. Yeah, they, they have like some good years, but there's a lot of noise to every single quarterback. If you look at Matthew Stafford in his career, you could say he got elevated by the Shanahan offense uh, or from that tree from McVay last season. Well, he's had multiple seasons where he's a top five guy before in an offense, and then he fell off the next year. So it just happens. There's noise in there. So we don't want to like fit all the noise into a narrative that we're going to say Shanahan offense elevates everyone. So let's discount everyone in that, in that offense. The heights they previously had not achieved the traits that he has as a passer, accuracy, quick release, anticipation are the traits that other passers in this offense have had. It just means that as Sean McVay cast aside Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford, and as Kyle Shanahan moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo for Trey Lance, there tends to be an expiration date on the efficacy of this offense with this style of quarterback. For as- okay, so now let's get to this part here. And this was like the thing, right, when um, the Shanahan traded up for for Trey Lance or the trade for Matthew Stafford. Um, yeah, there's something to getting higher level play. But I think almost everyone on the planet would have just said that Stafford was like a better quarterback than Jared Goff, regardless if we're going to try to put him in two separate types of buckets, right? Regardless of whether we're going to put him in two sorts of buckets, we're going to say, this is an elevator, this is a non-elevator. Just generally, like, what's your expected performance with these two quarterbacks? As much as I may have thought that Stafford was overrated or stats guys thought Stafford was overrated, it doesn't mean that we thought that he wasn't better than Jared Goff. It was just, you know, how much is he worth, basically? And then the second example, Trey Lance, I don't know. I mean, even using Stafford and Lance as examples, I know that the Rams won the title last year where they had a really good offensive line, pass blocking, didn't didn't get injured at all. Cooper Cup had this amazing season that they had there. Stafford was part of it. Stafford had one of the most efficient seasons in the in the NFL uh, last season. But we're talking about, you know, a few different times, whether it's in the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game or earlier in the playoffs where a few different plays go a different direction, they don't win the Super Bowl. And now, if you're sitting here now this year where Stafford's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, when the surroundings have fallen apart around him, you know, the elevator, Matthew Stafford, everything has fallen apart here and he's been bad. Where are we, how are we judging this, this decision to upgrade this easy decision where everyone's like, you got to just toss aside, you got to toss aside these uh, game manager, executor quarterbacks and go with someone else. You got to just get rid of them, get rid of them. Uh, how are we judging the Stafford trade right now if they didn't win that Super Bowl, right? If one play goes a different direction, if the San Francisco 49ers 
don't drop that interception in that game. They go on to win. And we're sitting here with Matthew Stafford probably be calling a failure. The trade probably be calling a failure right now. Now, I don't think it was necessarily a bad trade or anything like that. But I'm just saying there's an expiration date on a lot of things when they go up and down. Trey Lance, you trade away three draft picks, three first round picks to get him. I don't know. Like, what's the probability he is better for this offense than what Jimmy Garoppolo is in there right now? I think the 49ers could be the best team in the NFC right now. What's the probability of getting even better performance than that or even equal performance of that? I'd say it's less than 50% of being equal performance with Trey Lance in there than what you're getting from Jimmy Garoppolo. So these moves that people feel like they have to make, again, these other these guys just don't grow on trees that can that you're saying you're going to try to replicate and you're going to have you have to go out there and get these other guys you they don't they don't grow on trees good as the numbers in this offense may look it will not elevate it will not go to the next level unless it is captained by an elite quarterback okay so it will not elevate unless it's cap captained by an elite quarterback this is something that kind of annoys me the elevate thing like what does that even mean the miami dolphins offense the passing office is number one in the NFL. San Francisco 49ers are top five consistently with Jimmy Garoppolo as far as their actual performance, their actual efficiency. Like how much more elevation do you want to, to say it's being elevated? It's not, again, it's not a binary thing. Maybe it's not being completely maxed out, but being completely maxed out is different than you cannot elevate it or not. So are we saying that if another quarterback was in there other than Tua, They'd be just head and shoulders and chest and waist above the entire rest of the NFL right now instead of just in first place. Maybe. Um, but I think we're looking at things that have lower and lower certainty. And we have to just recognize that we have a certain results. We cannot say these quarterbacks don't do any sort of quote unquote elevation because of their limited skill sets when there are elevating executing a play eight out of 10 times versus seven out of 10 times is elevating versus what you would see for other quarterbacks in that offense. And Tua is not an elite quarterback. He doesn't have a big enough arm or creativity under pressure. And if this were the 2000s, the heyday of the pocket passing West Coast offense, if this were that era, Tua would look like he's well on his way to potentially elite status at quarterback. Okay, let me just stop this for a second because for those of you who are watching on, uh, I'm not watching on YouTube, you saw that, Drew Brees was put up there as an example for like, if this was the, you know, 2000s, then this type of quarterback can't be good. But I guess, he, you know, he's not good anymore. He, he can't be good anymore. Drew Brees, <laughs> Drew Brees, who like held all the passing records until, you know, um, Tom Brady's going to take them over. Uh, like slam dunk Hall of Fame type of quarterback. Uh, again, Drew Brees is being used as an example of like, hey, not, not good enough anymore. Um, yeah, the audio people didn't see that, that his picture was being put up there. That's reminds me when I was talking to Ruiz last week and I was saying to him, I bet if you guys watched like Joe Montana, you'd be, you'd say, ah, you know, this guy's limited, limited quarterback. They need to upgrade. They need to find something else. Now I agree. Some of it is different types of offense. They're taking advantage of these more mobile, more, um, higher arm strength type of quarterbacks. I get it, but let's not think that the entire football game and how it's played and every dynamic of being a quarterback has changed because Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen exist. 
Okay, it's two people. Let's pretend those two people didn't exist. Like, what would the narrative around who you need your quarterback to be? How much would that have changed? There's still lots and lots of goodness from executing an offense, from being Drew Brees, that we don't have to say, ah, you know, he would be elite. Yeah, Drew Brees, not elite anymore in this new thing. We're going to toss him aside. Guy who has, uh, like, top 10 best, probably, uh, stats and efficiency throughout his career. Joe Montana, get rid of this guy. We don't need him anymore. Not elite. I mean, Tom Brady, right? Like, how creative is Tom Brady under pressure? Or how hard, how strong was his arm? Tom Brady, get rid of this guy. Um, we, we need to just keep on shooting darts at the Malik Willis's of the world and the Trey Lance's of the world uh, to, to, to get this type of quarterback. No. Like, you, you have – there are different buckets for everyone where they can be useful. All right, let me continue. But it's not. This is the era of Josh Allen. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, quarterbacks that are big, fast, strong-armed, can do stuff outside of structure. That's not Tua's model, and it'll never be Tua's model. Eventually, you don't have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle on this team. Eventually, Teron Armstead isn't here anymore. Personnel gets a little bit worse, defenses catch up, and the shine wears off. Yeah, so that, that'll be the end of what I'm talking about. So defenses catch up, personnel gets worse. Well, guess what? That affects everyone. I mean, how's Lamar Jackson playing without having his personnel there he's had very big ups and downs in his career how's Matthew Stafford playing this year without that type of personnel um and again we're just pointing to a few quarterbacks here and Lamar is like I don't know if I even put Lamar in that bucket where you can be so confident that you're going to get outsized results from him that you can't get with other quarterbacks uh Herbert Mahomes and and Allen I would put into that sort of bucket but again there's three dudes three dudes in the entire I would say in the entire world, but let's face it, most of the world is not playing uh, American football. Three dudes out of, you know, 400 million people in this country. <laughs> You're like, just go do that is a little bit more difficult than, than what people think. And that's what I think is off the rails a little bit in this discussion. And we have to be able to reward people for high, high level execution in what they do, because that leads to results. That's why we have to tie it back, always tie it back to results. Always tie it back to efficiency and what drives that. Execution is important. Let's reward people for that execution and not have to say, we're going to put you in this separate bucket where we can never even think about giving you the same sort of credit that we give these other quarterbacks because you can't do X, Y, or Z. This is not how football has worked in the past. And I know we have a few athletic quarterbacks here, but I don't think we're upending you know, a century's worth of what we thought about football because we have a few freaks who are now dominating the nfl and i think what we're going to find is as guys like maybe malik willis we'll see how he goes he's looked really really rough so far it's guys like malik willis trey lance jordan love was one of these guys people kind of forget that that jordan love was like one of these freaky athleticism slash arm talent sort of guys as more and more of these guys start to fail as they have in the past the kyle bowlers of the world that we saw in the past as they have in the past as more of these guys start to fail people are going to start to move back to you know what you don't just take shots at these types of guys you don't just replace guys like tua or jimmy garoppolo who are giving you top five offensive performances you don't just without thinking say we, we have to upgrade. We're limited. We'll never be taken to the next level with these guys. Instead, we'll build around them and we'll give ourselves the highest chance of winning with these quarterbacks. And in the NFL, depending upon the circumstance, depending upon what happens, getting to the playoffs, having a high floor, 
having a ceiling, which maybe can't get you out of every single circumstance. Maybe if you face Josh Allen and he goes ham or, or Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs and they go crazy, you can't beat them. Maybe that does happen, but that doesn't mean that you just blow everything up because that one circumstance you can't get past. It means you build around to have the best chance to give you the most opportunities to have to get around and win the championship without having to face that circumstance. And that's what's missing somewhat from this discussion. All right, before I get into the Zach Wilson stuff, let's do some, let's pay some bills here, people. Uh, first, we're going to start with old DraftKings. DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. $150 in free bets if you bet just $5 on any NFL team to win any NFL team to win their game. Right now everyone can earn 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings sportsbook app now, place a same game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, total points and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFF. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Unexpected Points is also sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investments, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Also, Manscaped this holiday season. Let's get some Manscaped in here. Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. I, I do not endorse this, by the way. Tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer. Uh, don't demonstrate, though, for the, for, the, for the love of God. And gift yourself or the man in your life the men's ultimate hygiene bundle. 20% off and free shipping going to manscaped.com. Use code UNEXPECTED. You get the lawnmower 4.0, the, the 3.0. That thing's trash compared to this 4.0 here. Uh, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. Don't be uh, looking like a party favorite when you sneeze. And it's like, you know, that sort of thing going on there with all that hair flowing out there. You don't want that. The crop preserver, ball deodorant, the crop preserver, what the crop reviver toner. So wait, oh, I get it here. So like your crops are like, is it, what? what's the crops here? <laughs> well, you're trimming it. Okay. So you're trimming the weeds and the lawn. And then the crops are like, like what? Like the genitalia? Like, well, I don't understand what's going on here. I guess Manscaped, maybe you can help me figure this out later. Uh, okay, so, but just cover all that up. You know, you got it preserved. You got it deodorized. You got it toned. You also need to cover it up a little bit here. Surprise, you know, I have a surprise gift coming on later for, for Christmas time. And that's the performance boxer briefs. Also, a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Does this travel bag, like, say, Manscaped all over it? Because that might be an interesting one to go through, like, TSA with. Um, think your holiday spread is good. It's time to give the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Um, yeah, give it to people. Do all that stuff. Okay, let's get to the details here. Save 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code unexpected that's right 20 percent off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and use code unexpected 
be thankful this holiday season and get the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. I don't know how, I don't know how they do, but you know, anyway, they do. All right, let's get to Zach Wilson. Okay, guys, uh, by the time you listen to this, maybe he'll be officially benched, but the window is open to him being benched. So I want to kind of go chronologically through what had happened in this. going to have some media commentary also, some media takes, um, and try to figure out in the end, like, what, what should the Jets do as far as this is concerned? So for those who've been, you know, under a rock for the last 48 hours, the Jets' offense stunk. On Sunday, uh, I had it as the fifth worst performance and offensive success rate and efficiency that we've seen since 2005. So if you count all regular season games, all playoff games, there are two offenses in each game. It's about 4,000, a little bit more than 4,000 performances. And this was the fifth worst. Uh, second half of the game, the, the stat that's gone out there all over the place. Second half of the game, Jets averaged uh, gaining 2.7 inches per play <laughs> in that, in that uh, forget yards, 2.7 inches per play. So really, really bad. And after the game, uh, Wilson was asked by a reporter about whether or not he felt like he let down the defense with the offensive performance. And let's, let's hear, let's, let's hear exactly what was said here from Zach. As an offense though, I mean, when you guys are only able to score three points, the defense only lets up three points. I mean, do you, do you feel like you let the defense down at all? No. no. Thank you. All right. So just, just very quickly, just says no. Like, move on to the next question. And I agree it was a layup question for him. At the same time, so here, here's what this, here's where, here, I'm going to let you in on some reporting stuff here. Now, I, I've never been a beat reporter, so I can't say, but I know enough about, like, how the sausage is made when it comes to reporting on a team that, there's a reason you get these questions from these guys where they say, can you tell me about X or Y or Z? Tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. They don't really ask them a question that they're getting an answer on about a specific sort of thing. They, they use the tell me about question. And what the reason that you're doing that is because, you know, you want to write an article about X. So you want to quote in your article about X. So let's say you want to write an article in this case, it seems like you probably want to write an article. I think this might have been Connor Hughes, who works for SNY TV now, used to be an athletic guy. I think it's him, but I'm not sure. Not positive about that. He's been all over the story, though. Um, where you want to write an article entitled, you know, offense lets down the defense. That's your theme, right? So you want to get a quote from Zach Wilson that says, yeah, we, we, we let down the defense in there. So you could kind of put that in. So that's why you ask him that question. Like, what, what, what is he going to say, right? Like, what insight are you getting from this? Like, how do you feel about something? Why, why is that interesting? Like, how Zach Wilson feels? It's not really, like, important. Um, is, if you wanted to divulge that as part of his answer on, like, about their performance today that he let down the defense. That's fine. But you're like putting kind of putting words in his mouth a little bit. Obviously he was having none of that. He's upset whether it's him not taking responsibility or not, whatever. I'm not going to get into all of that sort of stuff. And he just said, no, he's like, I'm not going to play your game. Kind of a little bit here. No. Next question. Now he could have said something better. Like, you know, we're, we're not concentrating on blame or this or that. He could have just moved on to the next thing, but he didn't. So he got trapped. And it was kind of one of those things where, the, the downside in asking that question for the reporter is, okay, I get to use this quote in my article. 
um, with him admitting or him saying that he was that they're letting down the defense. The upside is like cha-ching the minute that, that he said no there. Now we have a week's worth of content, basically, going in and out and all the details of this sort of thing. And the reason I say that is that the reason it kind of annoyed me that this was becoming such a huge story is that we have to have like, it's not that we ignore these things, not that we ignore what Zach Wilson said. It's not that it's not important whether or not he's quote unquote losing the locker room, whatever that means. Again, it's one of these like undefined binary terms um, that we don't really understand necessarily. Right. But it's because there's just going to be an outsized uh, effect an outsized focus on what happened in this in in this interview that his answer was going to be an outsized effect on what happened in this interview and again I'll go back to uh my man here Connor Hughes in discussing what like a perfect example of kind of how this becomes an outsized effect in my mind of what happened in this article so he writes an article here where it is the um, Zach Wilson's lack of accountability after Jets loss to the Patriots should sound some alarms. That's the exact uh, quote here, should sound some alarms. So going into this, that's fine. Like, it's fine to write about this. It's fine. But then um, some of the stuff here is just way, way, way over the top. Um, especially when you go a little bit later into this thing here where he's talking about this is the fourth time this year that Wilson had completed under 60% of his passes and thrown for fewer than 160 yards. And he talks about how bad he's been so far. He's bad, yards per attempt, bad, bad. And then he says, and this is what I'll dispute. This is the part of the big part I'm disputing here. Uh, Then he says, here's the thing though. You can live with that. All of it, really, you can. No, you you can't live with that, (laughs) okay? If Zach Wilson plays like this, you can't live with it. You cannot live with it, okay? It's bad. Not livable with this. It's very low, okay? That's the important part. The important part is Zach Wilson gave his team no chance to win. Zach Wilson too often gives his chance almost no team to win. That is the important part. You can't live with that, okay? He's saying instead... How is it possible that he doesn't take responsibility? That is the most important thing here. Okay. And that, I think, is the problem with some of this analysis here. Is that that becomes the focus of why he can't be the quarterback because he says these things versus the fact that he can't be the quarterback because he's just not good. You know, that's the problem. That's the reason that Steve Ruiz and I last week were saying that you probably have to, you probably have to move on for him. And there's also another little thing here. I mean, I'm going to look, I'm going to quibble a bit here, but also there's another thing where there was a highly shared tweet about when he was asked about Denzel Mims and Garrett Wilson's comments after the game. And if they were upset about him and what he thought about that. Now, this was framed as Zach Wilson saying, um, there's stuff that I want them to do different and get frustrated as well. That was the headline. But if you look at the whole quote from him, he says, we're all close. We're talking and communicating. There's stuff that I want them to do. We get frustrated as well. And then there's stuff that I do that they're frustrated with. It can go both ways. It isn't finger pointing here. 
This is everybody taking accountability here and everyone trying to get better. I mean, maybe it isn't the greatest quote if you want him to just, you know, self-flagellate instead. But again, that was framed as him saying, Mims and Wilson, hey, they do stuff that I don't like too. He kind of said that, I guess, but maybe not as much as some people think. And then after this, like if you go through the timeline for all these different reporters and what's happening after this, they're literally like going to the locker room and going player by player, at least on the defense here, going player by player and be like, did you talk to Zach Wilson? Has Zach Wilson talked to you? Has Zach Wilson addressed the defense? Has Zach Wilson apologized for this? What do you think about Zach Wilson? And just like player to player to player to player to player to player about this particular comment. And it's like, we shouldn't be talking about the comment. We should be talking about his play. That is the problem. His play is the problem people you know and then you get these like ridiculous takes i was going to post the video here i don't even want to go through it where then, then you get like super take factory with booger mcfarlane on the pregame show for monday night football saying oh you know zach wilson's rich he's never had to take accountability for anything in his life it's like well may, maybe he's never maybe he's not good at taking accountability uh, yeah, maybe he's rich. That's great. But like, how much does Booger McFarlane know about Zach Wilson? Maybe he's heard things about Zach Wilson. I'll give you that. But just to say like, he's never had to take accountability for anything in his life. Come on, dude. I'm sure he's had to take accountability for something <laughs> in, his, in his entire life, whether it's a high school quarterback, a college quarterback, everything else. Um, I mean, he's not like Peyton Manning or something growing up uh, as far as his, his football career. Nothing was like just completely gifted to him along the way here. Um, so you get these ridiculously bad, bad, bad takes here. But what I thought was most interesting, and this is the part we need to concentrate on here, is that after the game, Robert Sala said, we're not even thinking about a quarterback change at all. And maybe that kind of closed the door. But now the door is reopened. Here's what Sala had to say after, um, after uh, the day after during the press conference. So this would be yesterday. Uh, on Monday, what he had to say in his press conference there about it being opened up for everyone to be looked at potentially as being replaced. I've uh, just been dealing with so many different things right now. The um, uh, I'm going to get to the tape and just evaluate everything, and uh, I'll leave it at that. We're keeping everything on the table over the next couple of days. So you're, so you're not committing to Zach as your starter for Sunday? Not right now, not until I'm done evaluating everything. Okay, so not committing to Zach Wilson as the starter. That's the news. That's the headline. Never happened before. And then when he goes further into here, like why why the change, basically, between saying you're committed to him no matter what to now opening those sorts of things up. Here's his explanation for what happened between right after the game being asked about it and now uh, 24 hours after the game being asked about it. But I, I, I think you could probably um... – I know you're you're opening it up to every position on offense, but the moment you say quarterback and not committing to Zach, I mean that becomes the major story here. And for sure, if you think about this entire year to this point, even when Zach has struggled, you can go back to his rookie year. The one thing you have constantly committed to is that he is this team's quarterback, he's this team's future, he's this team's franchise, and he he is he is your quarterback. And even yesterday, you kind of said it's the furthest thing from your mind. So, how like I guess one of the how do you get to this point? How do you go from that's the furthest thing from my mind. And now you're sitting here telling us that, no, I mean, everything is on the table with who's going to start at quarterback when that seemed to be the untouchable position. Sorry, I probably should have edited out some of this some of this long question here. Anyway, he's about to answer. Throughout the last year. No, fair question. Um, uh, you know, you 
on the, I mean, I can give you the whole explanation in terms of just being on the plane ride and you watch the tape and you just see some things and you write down notes and it's just me taking a step back. Now I got to go back. Like I said, I'm behind on the day, but, uh, um, you know, just to take a deep breath and say, you know what, I, everything needs to be evaluated. It's just when you, when you put up a hundred yards of offense, I don't care how good new England is and they are good. Um, it's unacceptable. That's not NFL football. And, uh, so everything is just being talked about. How can we be better? How can we be better Be better as coaches? How can we call the game better? How can we game plan better? How can we execute better? How how can we change practice? Um, so yeah, the quarterback is part of a, a pile of stuff that's being talked about. And um, and it's uh, something that we've got to find an answer to and we got to do it by Wednesday. Okay. So yeah, he didn't give a lot there, but he basically said, watch the film, look some more kind of figured out what we may need to do and there are like concrete numbers behind why right now is the time to potentially do something and move and the question really comes down to like the playoffs this year you probably have too good of a record to worry about like who your draft pick will be next year maybe you can draft another quarterback to replace them if things don't go well right now it's about the second year for Robert Sala it's basically like the third year or third draft class for Joe Douglas Like, you have a chance this year to win and to make the playoffs. That's the thing. And you have to decide and think really hard about, yeah, Zach Wilson could maybe still be the future of this team. But now we're last in our division. We're six and four. We have a chance. But now we're last in our division. If you look at the results from the weekend, our playoff probabilities – the Jets had the biggest fall of any team. They're down 13% in their playoff probability, down to 54% based upon those results. These are meaningful games. And if even an incremental increase in offensive efficiency, whether it's via Mike White, Joe Flacco, I guess White is next up there, um, can get you into the playoffs this year. And that has to be your focus for the Jets. I know you want long-termism. You want everything else. You want to find the right quarterback. But that has to be your focus. I mean, let's face it. Let's look at this franchise for the Jets. Since Joe Namath, you know, Broadway Joe, who have you even had at quarterback? You know, Joe Namath played football um, for 13 seasons, retired in 1977. Actually, from the Jets, he left in 1976. Who have you had since 1976? Over the last 46 years, who have you had a quarterback for this team? Uh, Chad Pennington, he was okay. He was pretty good for a while. Uh, Vinny Testaverde had a little bit of a run there, late career sort of run as a talented sort of guy. I mean, Jesus, I don't know. Mark Sanchez is probably one of your top guys as far as the results you've had. Ken O'Brien, a little Boomer Esiason action in a second, again, a second act for him with this team. You just haven't had anybody for the longest, longest, longest time. And when you have these opportunities, when you're six and four and you have a great defense and you have a chance of making the playoffs, you have to take that chance. You have to give yourself a chance to win. Whether Zach Wilson is taking responsibility or not does not matter. What matters is giving your team the best chance to win. That's how you lose a locker room is by not giving your team the best chance to win. And after this game, it became readily apparent that that's when a change will have to be made. 
It doesn't help that Zach Wilson is not taking responsibility. It doesn't help that he, according to anonymous sources, walks around the locker room like it's not his fault, whatever that means. It doesn't help, clearly. But losing the locker room more than anything else is about not giving those guys on the defensive side and the rest of the offensive players the best chance to win, the best chance to get into the playoffs, the best chance for an entire year's work worth of preparation and work to pay off with having something that doesn't happen very often for the Jets. That's making the playoffs and having a chance to win a game, having a chance to have the best season in a very, very long time for your fans, for the players, for the staff, and for the organization. And that's why they have to move on from Zach Wilson. And when you open up the door on Monday, normally it's, it's, a, it's a guaranteed sort of thing. And you could always bring Zach Wilson back if it doesn't work out. Uh, but this is something that has to be done right now. And don't worry about next season. Don't worry about the future. He's probably not the guy for the future. But even if he is, there's some potential bringing him back. But right now it has to be about 2022 for this coaching staff, for this team, for this franchise, for this fan base. All right. Thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in here. I'll be back on Friday morning to, you know, maybe some more news stuff. Maybe I'll throw in some video clips that I'll, I'll critique and debate people who don't have the chance to defend themselves. I like doing that. Um, as part of these critiques, you should check out what I did with the NFL Live segment on the return of the run last week. And I'll review Thursday Night Football. But until then, oh, it's also best bets. You know, I'll throw in my purely recreational model-based best bets for the weekend. But until then, rate, review the pod. Uh, say hello on Twitter, Kevin Cole, PFF. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone on Friday morning.